Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church podcast. Thank you so much for joining us as we open up and listen to God's Word together. Today is part two in Pastor DJ Ritchie's Sunday morning series on Elijah. This message was given on January 10th, 2021. If you have not yet subscribed, please do. And when you do, you will receive a notification each time we post a new message and will always be up to date. We hope this encourages you in your relationship with Christ. And if it does, we would love to connect with you in person sometime. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get into it. It's one of the first questions that we learn to ask as children. If you have a child, you've probably heard them ask this question ad nauseum. It's a question that once we learn how to ask it, we, we ask it for the entire rest of our lives. Now, as adults, we make it more sophisticated. We change the framing of the question. But this question drives us our entire lives. In fact, it drives some people into scientific pursuits and the medical sciences. It drives some people into forensics and criminal detective work. But all of us live with this question. It's one word, three letters. Why? Why? Time to go to bed. Why? Time to get up for, why? Because you got to go to school. Why? You got to get your homework done. Why? That why question stays with us. Why God? Have you allowed this to happen? Why God is this not working out the way that I thought you were going to work things out. Why, why, why? God is infinite. We are not. And so as we look at this question, why, I I need to let you know, although we're going to see some things from the life of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17, that we can certainly apply to our lives and to our relationship with God and to our question why, whatever your context of that question may be today. But let me just let you know right up front that because God is infinite and we are not, because He is the Creator and we are His creations, there are answers, including the questions why, that we will not have answered for us in this life. We're not going to get all of our questions answered in this life. And so this morning, as we examine the life of Elijah and as we look at the mystery of the infinite God and the circumstances of this temporary life that we find ourselves in, please understand that while God does reveal much to us in his word, he never promises to reveal everything to us. We saw this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 10 and 11, Solomon wrote, I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set the world in their hearts so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from beginning to the end. There will always be questions. 
We are so different from our Creator. Isaiah says this, God through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 55, verse 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And here's what God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. Paul echoes this in Romans chapter 11 when he says in verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counselor? Well, I've tried to be his counselor. Have you? I've tried to give God my advice. I've tried to give God my input. God, here's what I think you should do. God, here's what I'm demanding that you do. But I need to be confronted with this truth. Or who hath first given to him? And it shall be recompensed unto him again. For out of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. See, we have many questions. And there are questions, even the Apostle Paul, who had unique anointing of the Holy Spirit, a calling to be the Apostle to the Gentiles to write a huge portion of our New Testament. And yet even Paul said, there are many questions that I have that God has not answered. His ways are beyond me. He is far infinitely above me. Nevertheless, we do have this promise, we do have this hope that there are things that God will answer. There are questions that God does answer for us, specifically as by faith we hear His Word. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. Yes, there are things that are secrets that belong to God that you will never understand. Nevertheless, those things which are revealed, uh, Moses wrote, belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And so we're going to look at some things from the life of Elijah today and from the life of some people that he encountered and we're going to have a lot of questions, and this, this passage of Scripture is not going to answer all of them, but there are some things that we can learn to apply to our own lives and to our own situations. There are some things revealed in this book to us that are not secrets, that we can know about God, that we can know about our lives, so that we can, as Moses commands, do all the words, do what God has commanded us to do. Now... We were in 1 Kings chapter 17 last week. Elijah the Tishbite, verse 1, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And we saw how God provided for Elijah first at the brook, being fed by the ravens, then at the house of a widowed mother, uh, supernaturally supplying his needs and hers and the needs of her son. And we asked the question last week, how would you describe a man who's 
prayers could shut the gates of heaven? How would you describe a man whose prayers could open the gates of heaven? How would you describe a man whose prayers, as we'll see, Lord willing, next Sunday, can call fire down from heaven? James says that he was a man uh, subject to like passions as we are. The story of Elijah is not the story of how great Elijah is. Elijah was not an X-man. He did not have some kind of supernatural weather control to be able to make it rain and stop the rain. The story of Elijah is not the testimony of Elijah. The story of Elijah is the testimony of our God. That's what his name means. Elijah's name means, my God is Yahweh. And so the story of Elijah teaches us about God, about his greatness. And last week, as we looked at these first verses in 1 Kings 17, we saw two primary things about God. We saw, number one, that God is present. That God is present. We need to live in the active awareness of His presence because He is actively moving in our lives. He's actively present in our lives. We don't always see Him at work, but He's always at work. And so we need to fear Him. We need to obey Him. We also saw that God provides. God provides for all of our needs. My God shall supply all your needs, Paul said, according to His riches in glory. He doesn't ever promise to give us everything we want, but he promises to give us everything that we need. I know I've shared this with you before, but back when I was a runner, before my back betrayed me, and I'm not able to run anymore, but uh, back when I was a runner, I would spend a lot of time uh, as I was out. uh, uh, This particular time I was at uh, Scranton, and I used to run around Lake Scranton, and uh, just a great, it's one of the only things other than my friends that I miss about living in Scranton. But uh, I love to run around Lake Scranton, and I'd, I'd meditate on Scripture and pray. And, and I was praying through Psalm 23 one day, which, of course, begins, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I stopped and I said, Lord, I know you said that I shall not want, but God, there's a lot of things that I'm wanting right now. There's a lot of want in my life, and I didn't, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I very clearly sensed the Holy Spirit speaking to me, saying, then is he really your shepherd? Are you trusting in him as your shepherd to provide, or are you trying to make things work on your own? Are you trying to fix things yourself? God provides for all of our needs. He protects us. He protects his children the way that you protect your children doesn't mean that he doesn't allow pain into our lives as we'll see in just a few moments but it means that we need to learn to trust him now as we think about the presence of God as we think about the provision of God we enter this story verse 17 of chapter 17 and let me read this account to you this historical event to you and then let's make some observations Because we're going to see that a present providing God allowed an incredible tragedy to happen in the life of this woman who God was using to meet Elijah's needs. And we have to be honest with ourselves and say, God allows a lot of things to happen in our lives that makes us go, why? See, God not only is present, God not only is providing, but God perplexes us. God perplexes us. Listen to what happened. Verse 17 of 1 Kings 17. It came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick, and his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? 
Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. We don't know how old this child was, but obviously young enough that he could be carried by the prophet in his arms, held in the bosom of his mother. Elijah laid him upon his own bed. Verse 20, he cried unto the Lord and said, O Yahweh, O Lord, when you see capital L-O-R-D, all in caps, that is the covenant name of God that is being substituted in our English translation with the word Lord, but it is in the Hebrew text Yahweh. Oh, Yahweh. Remember, Elijah's name means my God is Yahweh. And so he is saying his name to God. He is saying, Lord, my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. You know, there is a lot of debate in medical circles about when death actually occurs. When is somebody really truly dead? Not just legally dead, but literally dead. I have a a former professor at Liberty University. I I believe he's still teaching there, at least in the uh, uh, graduate school, uh, Dr. Gary Habermas who is an expert on the resurrection. He has done many debates on the resurrection, a former atheist who, uh, because of all of the evidence that he uh, discovered in trying to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, became a believer in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and uh, over the decades has done much debating about the resurrection. He's also, uh, uh, I would say, an expert. I don't know if he would consider himself an expert, but I would say he's also an expert on the Shroud of Turin, and he's he's done a number of lectures on the Shroud of Turin. And uh, one of his areas of expertise beyond apologetics and the resurrection is out-of-body experiences death experiences, near-death experiences, when somebody dies on the operating table and then they're legally dead and then they wake up and they have stories to tell uh, with lots of corroborating evidence that something happened, that they heard conversations that they should not have been able to hear. And there's a lot of, a lot of scientific evidence and, and my uh, point in bringing that up is not to... Uh, to get into that or to get rabbit-trailed into that subject, but just to say that there is a lot of, because of that, there's a lot of debate even in medical expert academic circles on exactly how long can somebody's heart actually not beat and get oxygen to their brain before they can actually recover because we have instances, recorded, verifiable instances of, of people who were legally dead for extended periods of time who were able to recover. And so something has happened here. This is not, according to the text, just a a, a strange experience where somebody looked dead. The Bible text tells us that this boy was dead. This child's breath, his soul left his body, the text tells us. And so this child is actually 
dead. But Moses, excuse me, excuse me, Elijah, Moses and Elijah, they did hang out once. So uh, Elijah stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord, said, O Lord, my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. And the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. The body was without the soul. We don't know where the soul went, what happened to the soul. That's a sermon for another time. But Elijah prayed, and he kept praying, and he kept praying, and he kept praying. And God granted an incredible request and did an amazing miracle And Elijah took the child, verse 23, and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. A A perplexing story. Why would God allow this tragedy to happen to this woman? And then why would God answer this incredibly audacious prayer request? This is not a request that God often answers. God chooses to do miracles when he chooses. This is not, again, because Elijah is so much more super powerful than we are because James says Elijah has the same passions as we are. He's just a a guy. So what can we learn from this story? Why is it here? Why does God tell us about this historical event? What is it that we can learn? Well, I want to show you four things that we can learn from this passage. Again, I'm, I'm certainly not promising to answer all of your questions today. In fact, I'm promising not to do that. But I do believe that while the secret things belong to the Lord our God, there are things that are revealed to us that we can know so that we can obey him. And here's the first thing I want to show you. Number one, expect your faith to be tested. Expect your faith to be tested. Job 23, the ultimate example probably in the Old Testament of a man who God allowed to be tested, lost everything but his life and his wife, and his wife wasn't too easy to live with in those moments either, and and that's no judgment on her because uh, I would not be easy to live with if I went through what she went through either. So I'm not casting any kind of judgment upon her. But here's what Job concluded in Job 23.10. He knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job said, I don't understand. You read through the book of Job. Job did not understand. Job had a lot of questions. Job had a lot of anger and a lot of frustrations. But here's what Job did have. He had faith that God was going to show him forth as gold through this. 1 Peter 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in 
the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice. Now, we have so much to be thankful for. Jesus Christ, Peter says, reminds us, he reminds us, Jesus Christ has come, he's died for our sins. He's paid the sin debt for us. And God the Father has raised him from the dead. And we, when we place our faith and trust in the death of Jesus Christ as the only and the all-sufficient payment for sin, when we admit that we're a sinner, that we need Jesus, that without Jesus we're bound for hell, but because of what Jesus has done, because of his death for our sin, his payment, his blood paid the, paid the penalty, and he's been risen from the dead. And when we receive by faith his grace, we are forgiven. We have eternal riches eternal inheritance, we are the children of God. But, but, while we greatly rejoice in that, Peter says, now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That, here's why, here's why God allows you to go through that. The trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold. Job said, I'm going to be shown to be like gold. Peter says, on the other side of the resurrection, oh, it's even better than that, Job. Even better than that. You're going to be even more precious. Your faith is more precious than gold because gold will perish. Even gold will perish. Gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, Yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Why do I go through trials? So that my eyes will be focused on the one who has saved me, the one who is coming back for me, the one who is going to provide for me eternally, and that my faith will grow and will shine and be more valuable than gold. And it doesn't answer all of my questions, but that's a pretty good answer. And I wish that the, the, the tragedies in my life, that I could have avoided those things. But God said there will be a reward when our faith is focused on Him in the midst of trials. See, God wants for us what you want for your children. And that's to grow and be strong and to be healthy. And the only way that we're going to use those muscles as baby Christians, is if we put weight on them. The only way that we're going to learn how to do things if, is if God allows us to fall and God allows us to stumble and God allows us to struggle and then God is there helping us just as we help our children. But if you never exercise that muscle, it's not going to grow stronger. It's only going to grow weaker. And God allows the trials of life to come into our lives to test our faith, to grow our faith. Now, back in, back in 1 Kings chapter 17, there are three people in this story, the boy, the widow, and Elijah, and each one has something to teach us about the testing of our faith. Number one, the boy's unexpected sickness and his ultimate death teach us, remind us, that life is short. Life is short. None of us, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. You do not know what tomorrow will bring, Proverbs 27, 1. James chapter 4, whenever you make your plans, and it's all good and right that we make plans, but remember to say, if God wills. Here's what I'm going to do, 
if God wills. Here's what we're going to do as a church. We're going to have a business meeting. I hope that you guys come. You don't have to be a member to, to come and, and be part of the business meeting to see what, what, what goes on if you're interested in becoming a member. or, or if you, Certainly, if you are a member, to have some input in decisions that we need to make or to find out what's going on in our church. It shouldn't be a long meeting because so much has had to be put on hold because of, of, of all the restrictions and, and whatnot. But we make plans... But in all those plans, we have to say, if God wills, if God wills. A year ago, none of us could have predicted 2020. And, and I, let me tell you this, I don't know what's going to happen in the next few weeks, but I know this, I don't know. That's what I can tell you about that. I tell my wife that, I, she's probably getting sick and tired of hearing me. Honey, I don't know what's going to happen, but we'll wait. Well, we're going to find out soon. We're going to find out soon. Here's what else I know. God knows. Amen? God knows. So, everything's a season. We don't know how long the season that we're in will last. We don't know when the next season. If you're in a season of of rejoicing, hey, you better rejoice. Don't miss your season. If you're in a season of struggle, hang in there. It's a season. That's what the boy's sickness teaches us. Here's what the widow's loss teaches us. This is so important. This is so important to guard our hearts against bitterness, those of us who are believers in Christ, those of us, some, many of us have been believers for, for decades. It's very easy after years and decades of service to the Lord to think that God owes us something, to, to expect a paycheck for my service. Here's what the widow's loss teaches us. Our obedience does not guarantee us an easy, pain-free life. Your obedience does not guarantee that. Your obedience is not something that you do for God so that He will bless you. Although He will because He's our Father. He's a loving Father and He wants to bless us. Just like you want to bless your children. Just like you want to bless your grandchildren. God wants to bless us. But we owe Him our obedience. He owes us nothing. God owes us nothing. Everything that God has given to us is His grace and His mercy. The common grace that He gives to all men. The sun rises and sets on the wicked and the, and the good. The rains fall on the wicked and the good. There is common grace. Those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have uh, the grace of, of God being our Father. Grace that we receive through Jesus Christ. It's something that not only do we not earn? We can never earn. Romans chapter 4, what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, it was counted unto him for righteousness. To him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Chapter 11 of Romans, verse 6, If by grace it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. See, it can't be grace plus works. There is, Paul says there is no such thing. It's all grace or it's all works. And here's the warning. If you're trying to work and you don't know Jesus Christ, your work, all of your righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. All of it. But for those of us who are Christians, we, we've been talking about this on Sunday nights, the book of Galatians. 
we have a tendency to, after we get saved by faith, we, we recognize we're a sinner, we recognize that we're bound for hell, but that Jesus died for our sins, He rose again. We call upon the name of the Lord, He, he forgives us of all of our sins, He saves us, He adopts us into His family, and then immediately, Galatians chapter 2, we want to start to earn it. We want, it, we want God to, to start giving us our paycheck for our obedience. And Galatians chapter 3 reminds us, no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. The just shall live by faith. Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, according to the mercy, his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration, the renewing, renewing of the Holy Spirit. So the widow's law says, listen, just because she was obeying God, just because she was serving God, does not mean that God was going to keep her life free of pain. What does Elijah's response teach us? This woman cries out to Elijah, what have you to do? What, what have you to do with me? What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? We don't know what her sin was. We don't know, what, we don't know how sinful she was. We know that she was a pagan Gentile woman living in a pagan city. We know that she was from the same city as Queen Jezebel, a city dedicated to the pagan worship of Baal and Asherah. So we can suspect she was almost certainly a woman who grew up idolatrous, worshiping demons, worshiping false gods. Have you called my sin to remembrance? Isn't that what happens when we, something bad happens? And immediately we think, what did I do? What did I do, God? Why are you, I thought you forgave me of my sins. Why are you punishing me? Now, time out. Be not deceived. God cannot be mocked. Whatsoever thou soweth, that, whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. So, there are things that we reap from our sins because we've sown the sin in our life. But this is not that circumstances. This is what we talk about in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11. Time and chance. Time and chance happeneth to them all. This was not a, because of her sin. And so Elijah's response teaches us that not all tragedies are the direct results or direct consequences of a personal sin in my life. Now, all tragedies are a result of, of sin in the world, of, of the curse of sin. Going back to Genesis chapter 3, but not all tragedies. Don't, don't think because a tragedy enters your life or a tragedy enters somebody else's life that it's necessarily because of a specific sin in their life, that God's getting them. Now, again, God disciplines us. Yes. And there may be, it may be appropriate if you have a sin in your life and God allows a tragedy to come in and you know you've been wrestling with this sin to do some one-on-one -on -one time with, with God, with the Holy Spirit, and to make sure that it's not a result. But that, that's not what's happening here. And so Elijah doesn't say, yeah, you better repent. Elijah goes to God. And he enters into his role as intercessor, which is a role that God has given to you as well, if you're a child of God. An intercessor, standing in the breach as Moses did, standing in the gap as Ezekiel says it's our job it's our calling to intercede wherever there is a need 
Listen to these incredible intercessory words from Psalm 106, verse 23. Speaking of Moses, therefore he said that he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. God was going to destroy the people in Israel. But Moses stood in the breach. Jeremiah chapter 5, run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem and see now and know and seek in the broad place thereof if you can find a man, if there be any that executeth judgment, that seeketh truth, and I will pardon it. Can you find anybody who's going to stand, Jeremiah, God says? Can you find anybody who's going to stand up for truth? Can you find anybody who's going to stand up for true judgment? If you can, I will pardon. I will move. I will answer. But you have to find an intercessor. You have to find somebody who's willing to stand in the breach, somebody who's willing to intercede in prayer, intercede in activity and in action. Proverbs 28.4 says that we actually have to literally oppose the works of the wicked. It means we have to do more than just pray. We have to do whatever we can, when we can, to actually oppose evil. Paul says, have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of, night, of darkness, but rather expose them in Ephesians. So we have to intercede. And so when Elijah sees this need, he intercedes for this woman and this child. Expect your faith to be tested. Widow's faith wasn't the only one being tested here. Elijah's faith was as well. And so here's the second thing I want you to see. When... God perplexes us. When God allows circumstances to come into my life that I go, why? Don't run from God with your question. Run to God with your question. Pray through your questions until God answers. Pray until God answers. Elijah did not stop praying until God answered. Now, God doesn't always answer with yes the way he does here. God doesn't always choose to answer with a miracle the way that he does here. But God will always answer. And so we have to pray until we know by the conviction, the peace of the Holy Spirit. The peace that passes understanding is the primary way that the Holy Spirit confirms. According to Philippians, when we are faithfully, fervently like Elijah, Elijah was was effectual and fervent in his prayers. why God answered. And he kept praying. And listen, he, he has some strong words here. O Lord my God, verse 20, hast thou brought evil upon thy widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? God, listen, he has some real questions here. Questioning God is not the same as doubting God. Questioning God is not the same as doubting God. The psalmists, throughout the psalms, question God. Now, as Ecclesiastes 5 told us, when we ever, whenever we question God, whenever we come to God, we need to come, we need to guard our steps. Keep thy foot, as it says in the King James. We need to draw near to listen, not to offer the sacrifice of fools. We need to make sure that we are fearing God, that we are being honorable and respectful. But God knows your heart. Be honest with God. Be honest with God in your prayers. If you're feeling something, be honest with God. We're trying to teach our son honesty. It's not easy. 
not easy. As, as my parents, I'm sure, learned with my sister, um, uh, <laughs> with me first. Pray until God answers. Jeremiah 33, Jeremiah is sitting in prison. Sitting in a prison cell. And God says, Jeremiah, call to me and I will answer and show you great and unspeakable things you know not. Now, he's praying from prison. Doesn't mean we're not going to go through some trials. Doesn't mean we're not going to go through some suffering. But questioning God is not the same as God. God is big enough to handle your questions. And He already knows your questions. He already knows what you're thinking. He knows your heart. So give God respect, but give God your honesty. He's honest with God. And here's what He does. When you can't discern the hand of God, declare in prayer the heart of God. God, I don't know why you've let this happen, but I know you're good. And I know you're my God. And I know you're with me. I don't understand. It looks from my perspective, God, like you've brought evil on this woman. And she's been so faithful to obey you. And she's been so faithful to provide for me. Why? And God doesn't answer why. He answers the prayer. But he answers a prayer that is praying for God's heart. I can't discern the hand of God many times, but I should know the heart of God as his child. So when you are praying and you don't know why, pray the heart of God until you can discern the hand of God. That's how Moses interceded for Israel. We mentioned from Psalm 106 his intercession for Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 9, I won't read the entire passage, but Moses recounts to them, he says, I fell down before the Lord 40 days, 40 nights. He had to pray a lot longer than Elijah to get his answer. How long are you willing to pray? How, long, how, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want him? How long are you willing to pray? 40 days, 40 nights, fell down at the first because the Lord had said he would destroy you. I prayed therefore unto the Lord. And listen, no, he's not just doing this for himself. He's doing this for his people. He's interceding for his people this intently. I prayed unto the Lord. I said, O Lord God, destroy not thy people, thine inheritance. Thou hast redeemed through thy greatness, which thou hast brought forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember thy servants Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Look not unto the stubbornness of this people, nor to their wickedness, nor to their sin, lest the land whence thou brought us out say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land. He's talking to God about his power and his greatness, and he's appealing to the heart of God because he didn't understand why God was going to do what God said he was going to do. And that's how we need to pray as well. Pray through your questions until God answers them. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened unto you. Those verb tenses indicate continual asking, Continual seeking, continual knocking. Pray through the questions until God answers. I, I love 1 John chapter 5. I, I quote this passage off, and this is the confidence. John says, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that we have the thing that we've asked for. So know what God's promises are and claim those promises in his word. And that brings us to the third thing, expect God to do the impossible. 
Expect God to do the impossible. Expect your faith to be tested. Pray through your questions until God answers. And then expect God to to do the impossible. But here's why. Here's why. To validate his word. God says, I have elevated my word above even my name. God cannot lie. He can't. Because when he speaks and says, let there be light, there is light. When he speaks and says, let there be a firmament, there's a firmament. When he speaks and says, let the earth be divided from the waters, let the waters bring forth life, let the land bring forth vegetation, let the earth be filled with living things. It happens. God can't lie. So expect him to validate his word. Mark 10, Jesus says, with man this is impossible, speaking about the salvation of a rich person because a rich person doesn't see their needs. They don't feel like they need God. Everything's taken care of in their life. They're very comfortable. God says, it's, it's more likely that you can get a camel through the eye of a needle than, than a rich person gets saved. And the disciples are like, whoa, well then who's going to get saved? And Jesus said, listen, with man this is impossible. With God all things are possible. With God everything is possible. So that child that you've been praying for, that brother, that parent, that spouse, that cousin, that friend at work, don't stop praying. Don't stop praying for them. With God all things are possible. But He will answer miraculously when it comes to Validating his promises. Validating his word. See, the response of the woman is, now I know. By this I know, verse 24, that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is true. See, it wasn't just the miraculous provision that showed her that this was truly a man of God. It was the resurrection of her son. And Friends, it's the resurrection of God's Son that shows us that God will always do the impossible to validate His promises, to validate His Word. See, the boy died again. The boy's not around. Elijah's still around. Not not here presently, but he's still alive. He's coming back. Malachi promises that. Jesus promised that. Jesus said when He came down the Mount of Transfiguration, Elijah is coming. He's come in the person of John the Baptist symbolically, but Elijah, Jesus said, is coming back. So Elijah is coming back. This boy died. He died died twice. God raised him from the dead, but he's not here anymore. But God's word is here. God's word is eternal. And God will validate his eternal word. So we can't always know We don't always know. We won't always know what God's plan is. What's God doing in our country right now? I don't know. What's God doing in our church right now? I don't know. God knows. We follow His steps. But here's what I do know. God will keep His promises. So I need to know what God's promises are and I need to claim those promises from His Word. His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own 
glory and goodness. Through these, Peter says, 2 Peter chapter 1, through these He has given us His very great and precious promises. That's through them, through the promises of God, we can live pure and holy lives, that we can escape the corruption in the world caused by the sinful fleshly desires that we have in our heart. So you may not know what God is doing in the world today. You don't know, I, I don't know what God's doing in your family today, and you may not either, but listen, know God's promises, claim those promises, and expect God to do the impossible if it is to validate His Word. You need wisdom? God promises you, you'll have wisdom. You say, I don't know how I'm possibly going to make this decision. God has promised you to do the impossible, that he will give you the wisdom you need if you pray for it, James chapter 1, and believe. God has promised you the power that you need, 2 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 4. If you pray for it, if you believe, if you're not unwavering, if you're not double-minded, expect God to do the impossible. So expect your faith to be tested. Pray through your questions until God answers them. Expect God to do the impossible to validate his word. God will keep his promises. And Jesus Christ, as we've seen in the month of December, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Jesus Christ proves that every promise of God is yes. Now there's one more thing that I want to show you from this. And to see this, we need to step back for a moment. And we need to see the big picture. Here's what I want you to consider. Number four. When lost in life's painful strokes, the painful brushstrokes that God is painting on the canvas of your life today, when lost in life's painful brushstrokes, look for the eternal beauty of God's big picture. Step back and look at the big picture. I'm sure that you've had this experience if you've ever used a... Oh, I left my phone in there so it didn't ring on me. Uh, but I'm sure you've, uh, you've had the experience if you've ever used GPS on your phone to try to get somewhere where things get a little off-centered and you're, trying, you're driving and you, you're not allowed to hold your phone and so maybe you'll have it on a holder like me uh, and you're, you're trying to look and things got bumped or something and it's off-centered and so you're not sure where you are. So you kind of have to get the screen to where you're, where you're recentered. And you get the big picture and you back up. It's so easy to miss the forest because we're focused on the trees of the circumstance that we're facing today. This tree that is in our way. And sometimes we miss the forest. Don't miss the forest for the trees. There is mystery. And the eyes of your faith will blur. Some of us are nearsighted. Some of us are farsighted. We need corrective glasses of God's Word. Your faith will blur. The eyes of your faith will blur at times. So take a step back. Look for the eternal story behind the temporal story. There is an eternal story that's being painted here. In the moment, she did not understand. But God is preparing Elijah for a spiritual battle. He has already had a spiritual battle. He's been engaged in a spiritual warfare. But next week, we're going to look at this. God is preparing Elijah and in, in increasing his faith because there is a coming major, major battle that Elijah needs to fight. And God is preparing him. And, and Elijah doesn't see that in the moment. And we don't see that in the moment either. 
but there's a bigger picture. This, was the, this is what we learned from the book of Job. Job didn't understand the spiritual battle that was going on. He didn't understand what was going on in heaven, but there was something going on in heaven. Step back. We are engaged in a spiritual war. It's in the unseen realm, but ultimate victory is already achieved in Jesus Christ. So we have to sometimes step back and we have to remember, as Peter reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 1, remember, yes, your faith is being tested, but remember, your eternal riches are already secured. Your victory is already secured in heaven. You already have an inheritance because you're already adopted into the family of God. Don't miss the forest for the trees. And then here's the last thing. There's another thing that's happening here. God is drawing us a picture. The Hebrew word for that is a midrash. A midrash. We'll talk more about midrash in the future. The, the, the Hebrew word literally means inquiring into. Inquiring into. Looking for the symbolic meaning to something. That doesn't mean the Bible is not literal. The Bible is literal. The Bible has a literal message. But sometimes there is a type or a symbolism that is being added to the picture that we don't see in the moment, but that we see later in the bigger picture. And there's a picture that's being painted for us here as well in this story. Just like with Abraham and Isaac. Remember, we talked about this back in the summer when we looked in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that uh, Abraham was called by God to offer his son Isaac. And Abraham so believed in the promise of God that he knew that even if he kills Isaac, that God has to raise him from the dead. And Hebrews 11 is showing us that that was a picture of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That, that God was painting up. Abraham didn't understand that. But we now live on this side of the resurrection. And we can look back and see, oh, obviously God was painting a picture there. God was giving us a quote-unquote midrash. He was, he was giving us a picture of what was going to happen in the future. And there's a picture here as well because there are two women that intersect with the life of Elijah in this passage of Scripture. Both of them are Gentiles. Both of them are from the same place. They're both Zidonians. One of them is super powerful. The queen of Israel, Jezebel. The other one is a poor, weak, widowed mom trying to feed her child, and there's a picture that God is painting. We know it's a picture because Jesus tells us that it's a picture in Revelation chapter 2. We're not going to take the time to turn there. But in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus identifies Jezebel as symbolizing spiritual adultery, spiritual fornication. See, we'll talk about this, Lord willing, next week. But what Jezebel did was she didn't try to replace the worship of Yahweh in Israel with the worship of Baal. She wanted to mix it. Oh, you can still worship Yahweh just as long as you worship Baal too. Just as long as you worship Asherah as well. And as long as you worship Baal and Asherah along with your God, we're all good. Spiritual fornication. Spiritual fornication. See, there are two kinds of churches today, churches that truly preach the gospel, churches that are faithful to Jesus Christ, the one true Jesus Christ, and there are other churches that want to worship Jesus, want to worship God, but then they want to add all kinds of 
spiritual filth, pagan worship to their worship. And they are committing the sin of Jezebel. And what the story shows us, as we'll see clearer and clearer and more and more as we fill in the picture as we go through this historical account, that they're symbolic of two different kinds of churches. Gentile believers gathered. You have the Jezebel church, which seems to be powerful, seems to have all this money, like the Laodiceans, but they're not really a true church. They're committing spiritual adultery. And then you have a weak church, financially not as powerful, doesn't have as much political influence, but by faithful dependence on God's word, we will experience the literal resurrection of our children when Jesus Christ comes back, when the Lord himself descends from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. And the children of the true church are going to live again, just as we see in this story. See, God isn't promising that he's going to do miracles in every situation, but he's drawing us a picture of the promise to the church, to those who are faithful to God's word, those who are truly trusting in Jesus Christ, that whatever tragedy we go through, whatever trial we go through, there is hope of resurrection and eternal life in Jesus Christ. Would you stand as we close together? Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Father, we go through the trials of life and we struggle. And God, I know I've had questions without answers. I've shed many tears over the question why. God, I would ask you that you would remind me, as we've seen in this story, God, that you are always working. You don't answer all of our questions, God, but you are always working. And God, our faith needs to be in you, not in our understanding of how your hand is moving, but in your heart as it has been revealed to us in your word. We love you. We thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that wraps up today's message. We hope this has made an impact on your life and encourages you to follow and reflect Jesus daily. If it has, please give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you listen on and share with a friend so others might be encouraged as well. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior and would like to know how, Join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30, Sunday nights at 7 o'clock, or Wednesday nights at 6.45. Or even give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love to hear from you. We hope to see you soon, and until next time, stay faithful.